joining me once again is our very own Honorbon Mahante, or as our transcription service called him this morning, Honorbound Manatee, which sounds like some sort of Florida <laughs> not very useful superhero, like like a friend of Aquaman's who's not all that good. But uh, Honorbon, welcome back to the program. Oh, thank you, Dan, for having me back. Uh, you know, the transcription service has been great. It has called me all sorts of things, and I love them because it gives me all these different characters. It has called me Underbody Mahanti. It has also called me, strange enough, Obama Hunter. I'm not sure why. <laughs> Your last name was also and, and My Hot Tea on a couple of the ones I did. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I would have thought that the AI would have learned by now, but it hasn't. <laughs> yeah, which is odd because it actually got Manisha Sammy down pretty quickly. And because our very own Max Chatsko has two X's in his name, any other Max we have on, it assumes has two X's in its name. But that being said, <laughs> I will give the folks at Otter credit. Transcription has come a really long way. The early days of transcription were absolutely dreadful. And I did one this morning where it was, it was me talking to someone who had a distinctly different from my voice. And it was really good. All I had to do was add paragraphs. There was just very, very little work to it. But that is, of course, not what we are going to talk about. We are going to talk about Zscaler results. We're going to talk about Ford's plan to become uh, the leader in electric vehicles. I'm going to have some questions about that. I'm, I'm not mm -hmm. so sure you become the leader in a space that already has a leader. Uh, and we're also going to talk about the security industry in general. Before we kick off with Zscaler uh, and getting into the nitty gritty, I'm not sure that's a company everyone knows. Can you give a little overview of what Zscaler does? Oh, okay. Yeah, so Zscaler is basically a security company. It provides security solutions. Um, it operates in, in a world known as zero trust. So the idea there is that you trust no one. You don't trust the, the person who's coming. So everybody needs to be authenticated before they can be trusted. And effectively, they run a, you think of it as a, as a global cloud service. And uh, you, know, you download this one piece of software that runs on your device. And that device then basically connects to Zscaler. Zscaler basically authenticates it. And then you sort of have access to internal applications or the internet. Um, it's um, it, it, it's it, it, at a very simple level, you can think of it as like a global firewall that you've got that uh, you know, you're using. So uh, enterprises, large companies, medium-sized companies, um, governments would be using uh, Zscaler and similar services for all the obvious reasons, right? Lots of you know, uh, hacks happening, lots of uh, cyber attacks happening. So th these are sort of things that you need if you want to prevent those sort of things. Yeah, you don't want the government going on a trust everyone system. I, I would argue <laughs> that I'm too trusting. And yesterday I ended up accepting a Facebook request because sometimes people just you know, know me from the show or from something I'm public I've done and they want to be friends and whatever. Like I usually accept them. This was just someone randomly friending people on Facebook and I spent 20 minutes answering questions. And so perhaps I should have a little less trust, but yes, when it comes to a website, no trust is a good idea. So I read these and these seem like really good results for a, a young growing company. Uh, what was your take on them? Yeah, so like, I mean, you know, uh, revenue was up something like 60%, uh, which is phenomenal, right? And it, it's not, and this is not really that small, right? So revenue was somewhere around 175, you know, I'm just, you know, 176 odd million, uh, again, thinking that number on the top of my head, you multiply that by four, you're sort of, you know, closing in on a $600 billion run rate, which is sort of, you know, their, their guidance is actually higher than that for the year. So 
you're growing at 60% at, you know, half a billion dollar plus run rate, that's pretty significant. Um, then I think the other thing to look at is deferred revenue, how much revenue that they've got deferred that you're going to recognize. Uh, that's growing as well. Um, so I think, you know, things are going well for them. They did, they did a bunch of hiring. Really, what's, what's important to realize here is that sales don't happen magically. Sales happen if you have salespeople who are actually advocating for your company. And, and it, is, it is strange, but in, in, even in today's world where everything is digital, enterprise, large companies just do not buy software because they, you know, it's a good software, right? Somebody has to go out, convince them, or at least get on a Zoom call and convince them. And, and that's really what they did. So they, they've really worked on their go-to-market strategy. Um, they, they got a new, um, last year, not 2019, uh, they got a, a president and go to a go to market president uh, and chief revenue officer, and that has really helped. They've ramped up their hiring. They have got the right people on the ground. They've got the right people to make those decisions, and and that's really paying paying off right now. And I'll share you a secret with you a secret I learned from one of my interns. The best food is always on the sales floor. When I worked for Microsoft. Uh, they're, they're, they're generous with beverages everywhere. But if you go up to the sales floor, there's almost always a meeting that just ended and there's snacks and bagels and who knows what else. So if you're working someplace and you want a snack, but I think we're actually going to see a lot more in-person salesmanship because you're not buying, you know, these aren't cheap software packages. This isn't a $39 disc. These are large enterprise packages that can cost tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on your scale. Their deferred revenue uh, was 225 million. That's about double, uh, well, not quite double. They were at 131 million in the year ago period. And they're estimating 660 million to 664 million in total sales. Do you think some of this is being driven, uh, some of this quarter was driven by the Colonial Pipeline uh, hijack and sort of there's, there's been a real added attention to our lack of security? Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, the solar winds attack that happened really probably got a lot of attention, right? Um, then the, the Colonial Pipeline attack was, it was basically an asset attack, right? So, I mean, that's a big deal. I did, you know, this question was asked in the conference call, and actually what uh, the CEO, Jay Chaudhary, said that, look, you know, there's nothing specific that we can say, or they can say, that's because of Colonial Pipeline. But these things have been happening now, right? The, you know, the solar wind uh, attack, then this, then some malware. Then there's a lot of things that you don't hear about, right? There are things where companies' uh, networks are completely hijacked and then there's ransom that people have to pay to unlock the network or unlock you know, their uh, IT infrastructure, uh, often paid in Bitcoin, for example. <laughs> uh, so so uh, we don't hear a lot about those things, and, but there is an increased heightened sense of um, sense among you know, chief uh, IT people, people who run the IT infrastructure, you know, the, the, the chief scientific officer and things like that of organizations that you need to invest in security. And you need to invest in security that works in today's era, which is uh, where you can't really have, you know, you have a mix of things. You have things running on your IT, on-prem IT infrastructure. You have things running in the cloud. So you're really in a hybrid environment. Actually, the hybrid because yes, you have people running things at home. Then you have, IT infrastructure at, at, at your office, your office infrastructure, and that might be distributed. And then you have IT infrastructure in the cloud. 
you really need to be prepared for that. So I think that's, that that is really the push. And all of these things in, in, in a strange way are helping, right? I mean, the more attacks happen, the more people become um, aware that, well, you know, we need to invest for security. So we're going to seg into talking about the broader security market in a second. Uh, but let's close out on Zscaler a little bit. This feels to me like they might as well be walking around with a for sale sign on. This seems unbelievably acquirable. And I think you'd want to acquire it when it's at the 650 million revenue range, not a year from now when it's likely at, I'm going to guess, 2 billion. That's projecting and I'm not great at math, but somewhere in the much more than it costs now. So are there regulatory concerns here? Could a Microsoft or somebody come in and snap this up? Yeah, so a couple of things. Like, I mean, it's a six. Let's let's look at the guidance, right? Six hundred sixty million. Um, you know, and let's say they actually beat that, so they'll probably do seven hundred next year. They'll probably do, you know, maybe forty percent more of that, so they'll close in on a billion. Um, this the the market capitalization for this company is about twenty plus billion, right? A, a company like a Microsoft can acquire it, uh, or another company can acquire it, right? Another big big tech can acquire it. I think the two things to think about is unless you, is this really a core area, right? And in a few hundred million dollars of revenue, one billion dollar revenue really doesn't mean much for the big tech unless it is. I don't think big tech is a natural acquisition target or, or uh, acquiree uh, for, uh, for, for this sort of company. Um, there could be consolidation in this space for sure. I agree with it. The other complication is that the company is uh, was founded by Jay Chaudhary. He's a significant shareholder and a majority. Of, you know, they hold. I think he and his family holds about twenty percent of the company, and they probably control fifty percent of the votes. So, uh, for the acquisition, this company has to come at a significant premium to where it is, which would be very pricey. So that's I think the negative in terms of you know whether or not an acquisition can happen. Um, so, uh, I mean, the way I think about it, if you look at the security industry as a whole, you have this Zscale, which is securing network and access and data. You have CrowdStrike, which secures the, um, the end devices. You have, uh, you know, uh, other companies that are sort of doing something similar. Then you have traditional uh, box providers, right? Basically gateway providers, firewall, physical boxes. You know, these are provided by companies like Kali Auto Networks and Cisco Systems and things like that. So there's a lot of players and I think a consolidation could happen just to make it easier for everyone, right? Um, but, you know, I would, if I had to bet on a consolidation, I would say that it's likely to be one of those uh, traditional big networking type companies that might want to acquire security solutions and not big tech. Um, and I don't think this goes into antitrust or any of those sort of things, but I think this is just not big tech's arena. You are watching Seven Investing Now. This segment was taped on Thursday afternoon. I'm sitting right now, uh, as you see this, in the studio live. So if you have questions or comments uh, you'd like to make, I'm going to take them when I finish talking with Anurban Mahante. I know this is confusing because I'm wearing the same outfit in both segments. I really need like a different, like a gray shirt or, or a different background <laughs> so we could see these sort of time jumps, but I, I'm not that creative. We did something pretty exciting yesterday at 7 Investing, Anurban. Uh, Simon Erickson came on 7 Investing Now and announced a long-standing plan, something we've been talking about very thoughtfully for quite a while. 
uh, that we are going to, as of July 7th, raise our price. We're going to go to $49 a month, up from 17 or $3.99 a year. Obviously, it's a massive savings if you subscribe to the annual. But we are going to make sure that our existing members, if you are a member before July 7th, before the close of day on July 7th, you will be grandfathered at $17 a month or $170 a year. We're also offering a new annual subscription at $84 for students. So we want to keep everyone in the tent. We want to thank everyone for supporting us from the beginning, but we also want to uh, be at a price that reflects that since those early $17 days, we've added you with the global perspective, with, with deep history as a research director. Uh, we've added me with uh, a different take. There's no one really covering retail the way I cover retail. There's nobody that has that hands-on experience that's been out there buying commodities and is now talking about why lumber is expensive. Uh, we added Dana Abramovitz, Max Chatsko, covering the healthcare space and biotech like nobody else. We're doing more member updates. We're doing our calls with members, probably the most fun 90 minutes of the month, uh, which you're not there. It's very, very late at night, but all the rest of us, we're going to do some uh, that you can come to. But basically, we let the members ask us whatever they want about the picks. That's not something we do here on 7investing now. So if you'd like to be a founding member, if you'd like to get in on the $17 a month for life, or $170 a year for life train. You can do that at seveninvesting.com slash subscribe. The graphic's not gonna pop up because uh, I don't know how to do that here on Zoom, but that is seveninvesting.com slash subscribe. Let's seg to the bigger security world. So here's how I view it. Let's take it from a consumer point of view first. You may not remember this one because you're not in the US, but Target had a pretty big credit card breach and it impacted people because a lot of us got sent new debit cards and had to go through the hassle of like making sure your recurring payments are updated. Banks have actually gotten really a lot better at just doing that for you. I was surprised when I moved how many things just automatically updated and happened. Um, but that being said, that one seemed to bother people. And then after they realized it wasn't a big hassle, the next like 200 data breaches, including Experian, which was an actual data breach of credit card info, uh, nobody really cared. I think we're seeing in the internet world, a lot of these data breaches have been sort of esoteric from a regular point of view until we had Colonial Pipeline, where it was like, wait a minute, my buddy's <laughs> wife in South Carolina had to go to five gas stations to get gas. Do you, do you think the average person is now, you know, going to their company and talking about security? I know it's come up with us at Seven Investing, though. That we're lucky that Max Chatsko uh, has really been a, a a strong advocate of us being safe for a long time. Yeah, so I think you know, uh, my sense is that I think individuals are more savvy about security now. Uh, there's just more news about you know data breaches, you know, privacy breaches. Um, you know, uh, identity theft and things like that is just, I think you're right to say that the, the colonial pipeline basically hit people hard where it matters in the sense that, you know, I can't get gas into my vehicle. I can't actually travel. This is a big deal. And it really shows the ripple effect of, you know, the ripple effect of disruption, right? How one little hack, you know, and, and this is, this was the pipeline, right? What if the attack was on the, on the electric grid? You could actually black out large parts of the country by taking down the electric grid, which then would have ripple effects in many other things, right? Um, so I think that raises awareness. I would say though that the, 
management at large companies probably were aware of these things for a long time. And security has never been, I think, you know, put under the carpet like companies have taken it security, whether it is, you know, seriously, whether it is building perimeters and having, you know, um, cameras or to having actually securing the network. It is just that I think the attacks are becoming more and more sophisticated and new holes are appearing in our, our, our perimeters that we have set up because of the way the world is changing. You know? So there's things that we talked about, hybrid cloud and you know, people working from home, there's just more uh, surface area through which the attack can happen. More connected devices means more surface area. So I think people who are managing these things realize that and, that's, and, and, and security is always, I look at security, it's like an arms race, right? You fix something, bad guys are going to figure out a way or sometimes people actually not even necessarily bad people it is it is for some people like a, a mark of honor to figure out oh i can hack stuff that they've just fixed <laughs> right so it's it's an arms race it's, it's going to continue um but i would expect a lot more attention at the corporate level uh towards security and 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 i think yeah yes yeah, as you said you know these are things i'm going to keep highlighting so you mentioned some of the players in the space, CrowdStrike, uh, Zscaler, Okta, which would fit into that space as well. Is there a one-stop shop or do I have to deal with multiple players if I'm a, a large enterprise organization? Yes, yeah, so you could, like there is, each player would say that they're a one-stop you know, one, one shop. <laughs> Problem is that they're not. So you could, you know, Zscaler could say that, well, look, you know, you can come to me and I can actually solve all your security needs, but then they need to, they do partner with someone like say CrowdStrike. So the CrowdStrike secures the uh, endpoints and then you use Zscaler to secure your network and your data connections and your access to the internet and your access to the private network. So you do have to partner. Um, Okta traditionally, Okta is not really, you know, like we, Okta is security, but it's a different type of security, right? It's more about identity, right? So Okta is dealing with identity and Okta is not the only one dealing with identity. There's like Microsoft dealing with identity. There's, you know, ping identity. There's so many other players. Uh, I, just, I don't think there's a one-stop way to solve this. It's just like, you know, uh, you can have a Mac, you can have a, you know, you can have a Windows PC, but then there are hundreds of, you know, you can hundreds of people making the Windows PC. Um, in, in our markets are set up for competition. That means fragmentation by definition. And, and sometimes fragmentation is actually not good, but regulators love the fragmentation. And, and I guess consumers get some of the benefit. This is one of those industries that you, I think you're right. You, you know, if we had just two places, this is duopoly in some sense, I think we'd have much more secure networks and secure things but you know unfortunately that's not how it works is it inevitable that we have more actual disruptive attacks i mean you know could we literally have planes falling out of the sky i don't want to scare people too much but the electric grid going down would end up in people dying so is this just something that's like we live in like lex luthor's world now like it, it's terrifying yeah so i think though there are there are, there are solutions here right i mean uh, most critical infrastructure has backup. They have backups, right? So there's diesel generators, <laughs> literally diesel generators out there. You know, so if, you, if you're thinking about the uh, air traffic control, they have backup. They probably have like triple layers of backup, right? If this fails, there is that, you know, they have alternative grid supply. So I think like, you know, it's not, 
I think it's very disruptive, right? I mean, it's disruptive for people because if my power gets cut, like I can't cook because my, I don't have a gas connection at my place. <laughs> so if my power is down for like eight hours and I can't use the microwave. So like, you know, uh, I can't turn on the heater, can't turn on the air conditioner. I wouldn't get hot water because again, I don't have gas. So it is very disruptive for people. And then, you know, that chain, you know, restaurants wouldn't be able to cook if they're using gas, the electricity. So that, that's, I think that it's just a disruption. And we don't realize the disruption that much. And I want to point out one thing. When I was living in India, blackouts are very common. You actually have staged, uh, you know, blackouts because that's how the electricity grid copes with the extra load. So people have batteries at home and then you just, you know, you just don't realize that the power went because you have batteries that do some of those things, you know, provide backup electricity. Um, or, you know, some people have generators at home and things like that. So I think it's disruption and, um, but yeah, I mean, this is disruption caused by foreign actors, which is what makes it you know, worse. <laughs> I, I live in South Florida, so we average three or four days a year with no power uh, due to hurricanes. And I have a box that when the weather report comes out, I charge like a million phone chargers. I have one big battery that can that can charge my laptop a couple of times. At our previous house, uh, my garage was like an open air parking garage. So I had a power inverter. So if I wanted to go charge my batteries and my other things in my car, I could go turn on the car. Here I have a two car enclosed garage that I don't think I'd wanna open during a hurricane. So that's probably not as viable, uh, but all of those solutions, lots of neighbors have generators. My building had generators to, uh, to power the elevators and some very basic lights and functionality. Uh, but when it happens on an unplanned basis, storms don't sneak up on you. You're not getting a, a hurricane yes. <laughs> I didn't tell you about three days ago. It's when these hmm. happen out of nowhere, or I was in Connecticut when we had an, a very unexpected ice storm. We knew we were gonna have bad weather, but it, it dipped just a few degrees and it became an ice storm and it pulled down trees and the power grid. And I, we had no power for nine days in the, in the dead of winter. It was really, really difficult because it was cold. You couldn't, mm -hmm. I actually did have gas water so I could take a really luxurious shower. Uh, and then yeah. after that would have to bundle up. I've gotten totally off topic here. As an investor, how do you play this? It seems to me like there's a lot of quality in this space and there's gonna be a lot of winners. Yeah, look, like, I mean, you know, like this, I think I always take, uh, my personal take is a basket approach. And, and in a basket sounds like when I'm a dart thrower, in many ways, actually investing is like a bit like dart throwing. You just have to figure out which darts you want to throw uh, because you know, you know, that increases the odds of your success. So I look at quality companies in an area that has secular tailwinds. And I love that because when I say secular tailwinds, I think that the area is gonna expand, it's gonna grow quickly. It's, it's modernizing something, it's providing a new type of service. Uh, it's taking data technology, uh, the cloud and building the next gen of service. I think that's, that's a very attractive space. And then in that, what you wanna do is in that attractive space, which has got a big TAM, uh, so total addressable market, you want to find the leaders. So you've already, like, you know, if you want to invest in identity, well, Okta is one to consider. Like, I mean, you know, it's the leader in that space. Uh, you know, you can look at Okta, you can look maybe the number two, whichever is behind, you know, these things tend to, you know, uh, work out in duopolies typically. Um, the same thing with security, you can look at the best security uh, solutions that are out there. There's a CrowdStrike I mentioned, you know, Zscaler, these are, you know, great companies growing quickly. And, 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 and both of these companies, what is interesting about CrowdStrike and Zscaler is 
they're generating free cash flow. Both of these companies, plenty of free cash flow. So this is not like these companies are voodoo <laughs> that are just growing by spending money. They're actually generating free cash flow. The, the balance sheets are really strong. Uh, you know, um, it's it's a good space to be in and very high margin business, right? Can they be disrupted? Yes, like everything can be disrupted, but as long as they're in, innovating, I think they're fine. So I think a basket approach uh, works really well not everything has to work out, you know, and you don't have to have 100% success rate, right? You could, in your basket, if 60% works out, but of the work, the 60% that work out, those turn out to be multi-baggers, you'll do just fine. We're going to seg into talking about Ford and its electric vehicle plans, but I mentioned Lex Luthor before, because this does seem like the work of, of supervillains. And I will point out that Otterbon wears glasses, and I've never seen him in the same room as Superman. So it is very possible. <laughs> I, I, I don't know that those are real glasses. You could possibly be Australian <laughs> Superman, the character I just made up. Um, so Ford had this big announcement yesterday, and they said that they're going to have 40% of its vehicles by 2030 be electric. And my response to this is, of course you are. So will everybody. Um, I don't know. I was very underwhelmed. I felt like this was stating the obvious. Is that how you took it? Did you, did you see this as some big throwing down the gauntlet? Oh, no. So this is like basically Ford realizing that if we don't make electric vehicles, <laughs> we will not exist. So what's the best? So what's the best spin you can give? Well, you know, we're going to lead the revolution. Well, you don't lead a revolution that is already being led by somebody else. Um, so, you know, basically this is, in my view, this is a spin on an acknowledgement that electric is the future. We need to make electric vehicles. They, you know, so they, and they're basically just announcing that the, the key thing to note is they've just announced stuff and they've shown us prototypes. And they do make the Mach-E, uh, which is the Mustang um, uh, electric vehicle, uh, Mustang uh, battery electric vehicle that hasn't sold very well, <laughs> right? And maybe Mustang is a niche vehicle. I mean, I love, I, I think the Mustang, in my view, is for those people who love cars, the Mustang is an iconic vehicle, right? Um, but it hasn't. You know, uh, blown the you know blown blown away people with their sales. So this is well, I think the isn't the Mustang yeah. a car for people who like gas engines? Like it feels to me that when you go all electric, your exception is going to be the Mustang and other and other muscle cars. Like those are going to be novelties for people who like the. In fact, you might even see the engines revert from these modern computerized things to more like a 1980s, you know, you can tinker with it engine. I feel like that's going to be a niche the same way like selling albums to I don't know, people who don't understand how music works and are really into albums. Like it, it, it feels like it was the wrong car to go electric with. I think, you know, Dan, I love that observation. That, that is actually spot on. So I think here is one problem I see. So I think what, what happened with, with the Mustang is exactly that. They took a safe car thinking, well, this is an iconic car that we have maybe our, uh, iconic in the sense that, you know, it's an expensive car. If you load up the Mustang, it costs a lot of money. At least here in, in, in Australia, it's like, you know, it can add up easily to a $100,000 car. So, they, so they're going after the prestige customer. But the Mustang is an iconic car that has a certain view. Actually, as you are right, in the long run, this is the car that people want to buy, which has, you know, a V15, a V16 engine, makes all these, you know, ugly noises, you know, almost sounds like a motorcycle <laughs> that is a car and, and, and has a certain feel to it. And it has a, it has a, a special life for it. 
I think the same strategy seems to be playing with what they're doing with the F-150, which is America's most popular truck. I think the problem with, this is the disruption problem. They are not, most people being disrupted cannot take uh, substantial step changes. They're not able to take those substantial step changes, right? So basically what we saw is that here is the F-150, how it looks. And all I'm gonna do is I'm gonna remove the engine Put the put the engine on the wheels, put a battery pack underneath it, squeeze the battery pack, everything else stays the same. In other words, I do not reimagine the F-150 because I'm scared of reimagining the F-150. And I think that's the wrong strategy because you're going to make the F-150 with gas. You're going to make the F-150 with all the limitations of the battery. None of the funkiness that come with battery or, you know, your customers are going to buy the gas cars <laughs> and then you're going to be discounting your already expensive battery cars and this is like a disaster in making right and, and you never and then and then they haven't said that they're going to close down had they said that they're going to not make any f-150 <laughs> that's going to be an internal combustion engine that was a different story but they're not doing that so i think they're setting themselves up for failure this is not a popular opinion but i think they're setting themselves up no, for failure. I, I, so uh, I, I think you're right there's there's three distinct types of F-150 buyers. There's the small time working contractor, plumber, person who needs a truck for work purposes. And that person might be sold on, on electric if the long-term costs are cheaper. That's a, you know, a person who's probably pretty tuned in with business. Then there's the, I'll call them the Florida show off F-150 owner. It's a truck that's never seen a day's work in its life. It's pristine. It has exactly the bumper stickers you'd think it would. Um, <laughs> And that person is going to want a loud gas engine. You drive a Tesla, I drive a Prius. There is nothing impressive about the, the meep meep of my engine and the non-sound of your engine. But there's a third buyer for the F-150. And this is where I really think they dropped the ball and they could have reimagined it. This is a corporate workhorse of a truck. Every company using pickup trucks to, to move stuff around. My family business, de rigueur at every location, probably has two F-150s to do little fill-in scaffolding deliveries. Um, and that's one where I really think they could have been inventive. They could have come up with some really cool technology. And it does feel like they're basically saying, same car, slightly different engine. No one will know. Like, if you buy an electric one, we'll give you a tape recording of the sounds. Like, I, I, I don't know. This seems to me like the, kind of the worst of old world thinking. Yeah, I think so. I think that that's what was my feeling is. And I think there's a couple of other things that's going to actually play out here, right? So they're, they're, making, they're, they're making the right moves for survival. This is a typical problem because they're, they're, their bread and butter is the internal combustion engine line of vehicles, right? So they can't really drop it. And it is these, you know, if you think about the factories for making EVs, these are completely different. You have to make the battery. So there's, there's the issue of finding battery. They don't have a battery cost advantage. They don't have a battery cost disadvantage because of their scale. They're just starting now. Um, they're technologically going to be at least five years behind in the battery game. They don't have the charging network uh, like someone else does. So they, they have a lot of disadvantages that they're working with and, and they're running this parallel show. So, I, you know, again, I don't know if I was, you know, I would, I, if I was running for it, I would do the, I would take the gambit and say, okay, this vehicle is only going to be electric. And to make the electric successful, I'm going to build my own charging network. And I'm going to go all in and build the best, uh, you know, the 
powertrain for electric and get you the best. What's going to happen now is that they're going to have mediocre range at an expensive price point. <laughs> and, and then you will not be able to charge it because you have to go to a third party charger. And when you arrive at the third party charger, you're going to discover that it's actually not working. Right. These are small things that actually are going to matter because, you know, when you drive the car, you should be able to have the range you need. If you show up at a third party charger and it is dead, you're host because you've got now no range left in your vehicle. So I think these are these are sort of things that they should have really thought about, which they haven't. So I don't know. Um, so I'm, I'm going to throw out a weird comparison. Walmart. So Walmart a few years ago paid four billion dollars for Jet.com and Basically, they paid all that money to hire Mark Laurie. And Mark Laurie said, you can't just put Band-Aids on. You can't just do little fixes. You have to absolutely re-engineer the entire supply chain. And that was a very painful, expensive decision to make. And even Mark Laurie didn't survive. Like, you know, he's still a consultant to the company. But basically, every person who worked under him, Jet.com was dismantled. But Walmart got where it needed to go, which is not typical. Companies that size do not normally pivot like that. That's the lesson here for Ford. There, there is a roadmap to building those batteries. It's just not a fun one. It's one, it's one that involves right now saying we're gonna make those investments. So let me ask a question on the chargers. They, I, I live in Florida, there's a lot of travel here. There's a, a lot of, uh, there's the Florida Turnpike, which is a toll road. And all of the rest stops there are getting one section of Tesla chargers and one section of the other charger. Is the other charger inferior in terms of the batteries it can power and the range it can provide? So it's a, there's a range of problems with the other chargers. <clears throat> so the number one problem is that the other chargers are made by various other companies, right? They use various other technologies. So they don't have, a, you know, they, they're probably behind in terms of how quickly they can charge. But let's say you don't even care about that. I think just the fundamental, the APIs talking, is just lacking. You could drive a Volkswagen ID and you know drop it down to 50, 50 miles. So then you arrive and see, uh, oh, this charger I thought should be working is actually not working. All the charge, all the charging stations are taken. These are small things, but they are very difficult to solve again because you know, again, you know, regulators love competitions, right? They don't want Tesla to own the charging network, but this is exactly what happens when you have charging networks run by 10 different people, <clears throat> hundreds of different people with hundreds of different software, then talking to hundreds of different vehicle companies, right? It is just chaos. So I think it's not that they're inferior. I think it's just the disparity and the heterogeneity of, of the availability of these things that makes it really, really crazy, right? Uh, and it's just not optimized. It's very hard to optimize travel. So I think that's that. And I do think, you know, the, here's the, I think with the battery, the simplest way to think about batteries is, for each dollar that you're paying for the kilowatt uh, or kilowatt hour, um, you, you can either pay less for one kilowatt hour or for the same price, you can get more, more battery and therefore more range, right? And that's a fundamental disadvantage you have if you don't have the battery scale uh, that Tesla has. I think that's the, the problem that, you know, that's a very difficult problem to circ circumvent. You just have to work at it. So I think, you know, those two things add up and, and it's, a, it's a cost disadvantage. Let me, let me throw out uh, sort of an innovative thought. This will be our last uh, topic here. So we're focused on the chargers and the stations. 
is it possible to engineer a replaceable battery where I just pull into the rest stop, go to the kiosk and a, a guy takes my battery and gives me a new one? Are, are, there, are there other models? Because I'm not sure as a country, we have the room for four or five different charging networks. Like it's already, it feels to me like if Ford wants to do this, they've already lost out on the Florida Turnpike. They're not gonna add more charging stations to their existing planned for five year re-engineered charging stations. It almost feels like they, they just have to do it a different way. Yeah, so I think, see, uh, what I'm talking about is the interim, right? So I, I think what happens is it, we, our human tendency is to think the steady state long-term. I think over the long-term, every vehicle is gonna be electric. And yes, 100% of the vehicles would not be Tesla. It, but what the future looks like may be that there's Tesla and some other companies like Rivian and maybe no Ford. You know, that could be the future. In the future, every, elect, every gas station is actually an electric power plant, <laughs> which will provide electricity and everything will work seamlessly. And there'll be plenty of supply that, you know, um, that you could arrive at a station and if one 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 uh, supply is not working you'll have multiple points just like you know you can find that you know one of the gas uh, delivery pipes are not working but you can just go on to the next slot because you know there's plenty so i think that's the future it's just how do you get to that future is is the problem so i think in the long run all those things will work out so i think that's not going to be the problem um it's it's my but i think it's the intermediate you know how do you how do you get Ford people to actually buy electric vehicles in the interim, these next 10 years, right? This 10 years is the transition, is, is the big question. And what's your strategy around that? Um, because you have to live through those 10 years, right? And unlike uh, a company like Walmart, which had, I think, a substantially more powerful business, right? You know, it's a retailer, but it's one damn good retailer. <laughs> there are very few damn good retailers out there. They, Walmart probably could have stayed the course and been okay. They wouldn't have been successful to the level they're successful, but with their customer base, their brick and mortar is going to matter more than, it's like Dollar General. Dollar General doesn't need an online presence because their customers all live within three quarters of a mile of the store. But Walmart exponentially grew the value of its business by having that. Let, let's close out with, you mentioned, what if there's no Ford? Do you expect that we're actually going to see some of these grand old names either disappear or become functionally nameplates, you know, different companies where, you know, maybe I think that Fisker is that I think that's who opened near me a showroom. It used to be a pizza place. Now it is an electric car showroom. Might you see like a Ford end up property of Tesla? No, so I think many. I think some of these are going to disappear. Is my take? That's typically what happens, or they will be very different from what you see them as today, uh, as they are. That's my take. My take because I think the couple of problems that's going on. Right, people will say that a a, a company like Ford or GM is a manufacturing powerhouse. My thing is that they are a manufacturing powerhouse of the nineteenth and twentieth century. <laughs> They're not the manufacturing powerhouse of the twenty-first century. In fact, to get to the 21st century manufacturing powerhouse, they have to write down a lot of the assets they actually got. A lot of the assets are actually basically big liabilities that they have to get rid of. So my forecast would be that I would expect some big, 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 big internal combustion engine manufacturers to actually have huge asset write downs. This is not, I think this is not people are not talking about. The other thing that people are not talking about is 
Many of these car companies are actually also vehicle financing companies, right? So these companies, you know, technically have two types of debt. They have debt for their vehicle operations and the plant, you know, debt against plants and equipment that they have. They also have debt against vehicles that they financed, right? So if you look at Ford, Ford looked like $120 billion of debt, right? Because not all of that debt is Ford debt. It's actually financed debt. As the years progress, many of these assets are actually not going to be assets. They're going to be liabilities. You'll have to write those down. So I think there are, there are some very interesting things that are likely to happen. You know, this is when an industry changes and when there is a turmoil in an industry, this is like disruption post that sort of, you know, pivot point or post the point at which there is uh, a takeoff uh, in another alternative technology. A lot of things happen and it's not good for the incumbents. Unfortunately, it's never good for the incumbents because they're late and they have all these liabilities that, you know, so, you know, Ford, GM and many others, are, have some very troubling years ahead, right? Um, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I, I, I will share one last story quickly here as we close up. Uh, I don't know if you know this brand. It was a, an American-only brand, Saturn. Uh, so one of the first- I know Saturn. One of the first adult purchases I made is I bought a <laughs> one-year-old Saturn after you know driving my previous car into the ground. Um, and I bought the car on a Wednesday and I went back on Thursday because there was something wrong with one of the tires. And not only was my Saturn dealer gone, Saturn was gone. Nobody had <laughs> mentioned to me when I was buying the car. They must have known. Literally one, like less than 24 hours later, the entire company had closed with a vague pledge that they were going to make parts available. That was not true. Fortunately, I had a friend who was a mechanic and he would scour the... Uh, the dumps for me to find like pieces when my like uh, windshield wipers broke, he found me a motor, like it was impossible. I ended up with a car that was a pretty well rated car that became really difficult to repair. That was also the last car I ever owned that had cranked windows. I have, uh, I've since come up in the world to the power, to, to the, uh, the power windows. Anurban Mahante, thank you for doing this. I'm gonna throw back to me and Sam Bailey to hit our finisher. Very strange, Sam, to be coming back to myself. As I've said before, I need to vary up the wardrobe. I need to get a couple of colored shirts. Maybe when I'm doing some of these shows from remote places, I'll uh, I'll borrow something from my friend Danny Venna and start wearing Hawaiian shirts. No, you don't want to be a you don't want to be a guy who could lose some weight in a Hawaiian shirt. That is not a good look. Sam is sticking around for our finisher, but I want to hit a couple of comments here. Uh, I'll, I'll just share one verbally. Patrick Ford said, "Honor Bond, shouldn't you be sleeping?" Yes, he is sleeping. I mean, we can't verify that he's sleeping. He might be up watching television or something. But it is the middle of night in Australia. We're going to tape with Honorbon pretty regularly because uh, I thought from a production point of view, that worked really well. I'm going to take a comment from D here. Uh, proof is in the pudding. It's that one, Sam. Uh, proof is in the pudding. Pudding is the drivetrain efficiency. I've never heard of a drivetrain referred to as pudding. Uh, Mustang Mach-E costs 40% more to charge per mile, uh, despite being the same weight and price range. Yeah, one thing I learned from Honorbon here is there is a massive advantage that Tesla and the pure electric companies have. Uh, they're really in a situation where they're so far ahead. And Sam, I don't know if you've ever been to a Ford factory. I have. It doesn't look like a Tesla factory. And I ran a factory. 
it's one thing if you're uh, switching from making something that's 12 foot. I used to make uh, scaffolding planks. You're, you're switching from 12 foot planks to 10 foot planks. You just have to move some tooling around. Switching from internal combustion engines to electric vehicles is a massive, massive switch. We've got some really nice comments I want to close out with before we hit our finisher. Uh, Martha Berry West, a, uh, a regular viewer, uh, a Facebook friend of mine, uh, says, thank you guys for the work you do. I love the show and love watching. Honestly, it's a holiday weekend. I mean, we love that comment, but we appreciate that anyone's watching. We fully knew uh, 12 o'clock on a holiday weekend is not a great time. Sam, I'll ask you before we, we get to our, our finisher here, we're going to share one more comment. I'm leaving after the show, or at least when my son gets home from school, immediately after the show, I'm going to my trainer. But after a shower and after that, I am driving up to our new vacation condo in Orlando. Are you doing anything this weekend to celebrate? Uh, I know Memorial Day is a weird one to celebrate, but to enjoy the three-day weekend. No, and that is so disappointing. We actually had a, we were going to go to Mexico and my son's passport didn't get here in time. We found a la like a last minute trip and it oh, didn't work out. So I'm trying to get I had, him. I had similar issues. I had similar issues uh, taking my son on a cruise where you don't technically need a passport, but it's a lot easier than it arrived like the day before. Uh, and I am so protective. My passport and my vaccine card are both in highly, highly protected places. Uh, Daniel, Daniel Delgado uh, has a great comment as well. I agree, Martha. I get so much valuable information here. We try. I love having Otterbahn on. Everyone on the team is smart. Uh, Otterbahn is, is, is brilliant and has just a different take of things. Everybody, I'll be honest, everybody on the team makes me see things differently. So it's one of those scenarios where, you know, where I might go into something thinking one way, like it, it seems impossible to me that Ford might not exist. And now I think, oh, wait a minute, like it's very plausible that Ford won't exist because maybe they cannot make a comparable vehicle to the to, to the Tesla. And if people don't want a digital F-150, and uh, I, I don't think people want an all-electric uh, F-150, uh, they're going to struggle mightily. But but Sam, you're joining me here for the finisher. Uh, we'd love your feedback, your comments on the show. Uh, you're welcome to hit me up at Worst Ideas 7 because obviously this is not the typical fully interactive live show. I, I hope that as we keep doing these, that people just ask questions as we go. Some of them we might break up uh, where I do an opening, uh, play a recorded piece, take some questions, play another recorded piece. We are playing with our technology as the world opens up. And I am so excited for all the ridiculous places you're going to see me. I, I guarantee there will be multiple hotel lobbies and Starbucks hosting this show going forward. You'll see me live from Money Show in early June. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll promote those dates. I'm doing a live conference. I'm speaking on retail and I had to throw out about half my speech because now I want to speak about supply chain uh, so people can get over the idea of what inflation is. A shortage of something making it cost more is not inflation. But Sam, let's hit our finisher here. Which of these do you plan to do this summer? About 35% said fly in a plane. That, that just beat out none of the above. 21% uh, said stay in a hotel. Only about 8.5% said visit a theme park. In my world, living in South Florida, I'm guessing that number for theme park would be much higher. Um, Sam, I'm going to do all of these things. In fact, I've already done all of these things. Uh, I'm also going to add get on a cruise ship. That uh, who knows what happens from the U.S., though I do expect good news there. Uh, but I'm definitely cruising out of the Bahamas in, in August. Uh, I will be in a casino. I will be, I don't know, a, a live concert, I hope, maybe a sporting event. Uh, Sam, are you going to do any of those three things this summer? We are, 
we are doing all of those things. Just this morning, my husband was unloading the groceries and on the like Coke 12 pack, there's 50% off for Six Flags. So just this morning, hey, you wanna go to Six Flags? Sure do, <laughs> great timing. So, yeah, anywhere that's not Houston, Texas, I plan on being there. Yeah, I've been to Disney uh, and Universal Studios during the pandemic. My son and I went to H2O Live, which is a, a relatively small Orlando area water park uh, in front of the Margarita Hotel and Resort Complex. There aren't too many places. There aren't too many people. I'll be visiting Texas. Uh, I, I fully expect I'll be visiting uh, our friends in Alexandria, Virginia. I'll be visiting uh, my, my family in New England, maybe, but I'm not so sure about that one. I'll, I'll be seeing my mother when she comes to visit me. Uh, with that, it is a holiday weekend. We appreciate your indulgence. I hope you enjoyed having Sam on the show. Sam, I hope you like doing it. I know we, we pressed you into service a little bit here. No, I loved it. I was just thinking when you're in all these tropical locations, it'd be Dan Klein happy in Mexico and Sam Bailey sad in Houston. So maybe I can join you on one of those cruises. That, uh, yeah, Daniel Delgado, I might go to Sugarland, Texas. And yes, uh, just to clarify, Sam and I have talked about her family joining yes, me. Yes, yes. <laughs> just Dan and I. Yes. <laughs> that, that, now, that being said, we're both adults. That would be fine. But uh, I am very much looking forward to because you have my favorite type of kids other people's kids. There's <laughs> nothing better. It's like when your neighbor has a dog and you can get all the joy of playing with the dog and none of the bad parts of dealing with the dog. So there will absolutely be travels with various members of the seven investing team, uh, various and families and their families. <laughs> well, to be fair, Max and I have a trip uh, uh, booked that that's just going to be Max and I, but that's probably a little more socially acceptable. Not um, as much of an HR violation of the yes. department I also <laughs> that, run, technically. <laughs> That being said, if uh, if Sam and I went to a trade show or something, that would be perfectly acceptable. Uh, but but very much looking forward to, to the the family travel. My wife doesn't travel that much, as as we've talked about on this show, so it tends to just be me, or sometimes me and my son. With that, uh, we are heading out soon on a holiday weekend, or at least I am. We thank you for watching. We thank you for the indulgence. We thank you for taking the time to get to know us. Uh, I'm not a big fan of being a nameless, faceless head. You know, I, I want people to to know what empowers what I'm doing and the fact that you know that I love to travel and then I don't own a lot of travel stocks, that probably tells you quite a bit about how I feel about the travel industry. So I, I liken this show to, to a little bit like Law & Order. They don't belabor the personal on Law & Order, but after 10 years, you start to know that like Ice, Ice T was estranged from his son and is divorced and, uh, you know, and you figure out, you know, you start to get little bits of it and learn who the people are. It makes the show better. If you'd like to get in touch with us, that is info at seveninvesting.com. Please, right now, only if it's a question you really need the answer to. Poor Steve Symington with the price change has been inundated with, uh, which I would say, 999 out of a thousand amazing questions and comments. A lot of people looking to take their monthly and turn it into an annual, which is actually pretty easy to do on the site, but it's also easy to miss. Uh, a lot of people looking after our new student subscription. So we're getting buried in email. But if you have questions, Boris, it might not be as lightning fast as it normally is. Uh, and if you want to get to us quickly at seven investing on Twitter, I in you can send us a private message there. Uh, I saw some today for Simon. He'll go in and answer those at some point. Uh, if it's a general one for the team, it could be me, it could be Sam, it could be anybody answering. Uh, probably be a little quieter than normal on Twitter this weekend. Enjoy your holiday. We will see you with a blockbuster show on Monday. Sam Bailey, in front of the glass. Thank you. We'll see you Monday. 
A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.